The following is brought to you in association with and from a proud partner of the Shining Wizards Network. Entertainment here. Radioactive Metal, your source for news, views, tunes, and interviews. Here are your hosts, Snowy, Rock, Corrine, and Aaron. What's up, everyone? Welcome to a Give Them the Axe episode of Radioactive Metal. This is episode 699, and I'm Snowy White. And this is Aaron, and dear listeners, this episode is brought to you by True Cult Coffee, T-R-V-E-K-V-L-T Coffee.com, the hottest, the blackest, the most metal coffee on the planet. I gotta start writing this stuff out. Like, <laughs> I, I get this great intro, and I'm like, "Heck, what am I gonna say next?" But where do I go from here? I know I need another cup of True Call coffee. But listen, you can't find a more metal coffee because not only is it made by metalheads for metalheads, but they find you music every month. So there's other coffees that are metal coffees. Maybe they yeah, have skulls yeah. and crossbones and things. Yeah, I'm, they, I'm using the air quotes, right? Yeah. They, but they try. Yeah. They try to be metal. But they don't give you music every month. They don't curate to find music when you subscribe. And that's why you should subscribe to True Cult Coffee. Because you're going to get music with your coffee. And, I mean, isn't that the whole point of, like you know, metal and coffee anyway. Like if you're having, like think about Starbucks. You have um, coffee at Starbucks, they're playing music. That's like a big thing there. Like all coffee shops, it's a big thing. Well, this True Cult Coffee brings the coffee shop experience to your house. If you go on the website, they tell you how to brew it. They tell you how to do like the French press. They can do some fancy shit. When I was trying to figure out the best way to do this stuff, I, you know, emailed Coffee Bean Oculta, or maybe we texted. I can't remember by that point. But um, I'm like, what's the best way to do this? He's like, okay. He's like, I prefer a French press. He's like, you do this, you grind it. When you grind it, you do this. I mean, you know, if you're thinking, well, like, oh, this is just some guy slapping some, you know, logo I can't read on a bag of coffee beans. No. No, it's not, right? This is mm-hmm. Starbucks-level barista coming to your house, curating the coffee for you. They'll tell you what to do, and you get to enjoy it in the privacy of your own home with music you like without anybody having to ridicule you. Because 
Metalheads and metal music is the one thing that everybody is still okay making fun of. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think that social prejudice has totally died. No, I don't think it ever will. Because because everybody is, is you know, as many social justice warriors as we have, everybody still needs somebody to make fun of. And what else are you going to do if it's not metalheads, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's that. Yeah, yeah. How are See, you? Oh, I really can't. I really can't complain. Last weekend, I had an absolutely amazing weekend, like we documented, and had a pretty good week just in general, like we discussed last episode with the whole record store day and the win and the Winnipeg collect collectibles and all of that. Like it's just this week. This weekend coming up as well should be just as fun, and we're starting it off the right way the way that i like to um one of the things we always like to do with this you know with you know with the opening segment of this show whatever's going on in kind of the relevant to metal that day the uh, the day that we're recording okay so the day we're recording this is the 29th april 29th okay yeah. April 29th, 1981. Okay. Saw the theatrical debut of Valley Girl. Really? Do, do you remember Valley Girl? So I wouldn't have seen it, but I remember the Valley Girl craze and the whole thing. In, well, <laughs> and the, the um, uh, Frank Zappa song. Right. Valley yeah, Girl. His, 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 yeah, and his, his, his daughter's. Yeah, Moon Unit. So, moon, moon Unit, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, what, okay, how that, how this movie, like, you know, if you're a younger li listener, you might be thinking, oh, wasn't that like, like that teen comedy in the 80s? What's what's that got to do with this show? Now, our more experienced li listeners, guys more, more or less around our age, will know exactly the connection between Valley Girl and this this show because um yeah it's it's an 80s teen comedy it's set in the 80s you know in Silicon Valley and the you know with the whole Valley Girl thing that was going on but really the the main theme okay the message bef behind it is of is of nonconformity set in the LA punk scene or at least part of it so I think it's really relevant to what we're going on here because that's that's a timeless theme. You know, doing what you want. Don't let your friends, you know, and your contemporaries and even society around you decide who you are going to be and what you want to do. You have to do it. And that's a very powerful message. So when I found out today, just as I'm just kind of pissing around on the interwebs, it's the anniversary of Valley Girl, I immediately called up Mrs. Snowy, and it's like, oh, oh we got to watch this tonight. And she said, totally, for sure. <laughs> totally. That's right. That's right. So as soon as we're Daniel done here. Spoon. <laughs> That's right. To totally grody. <laughs> so grody, Snowy. Grody. So, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to pour another Lemmy and make my way to spend an evening with an old friend. 
For sure, for sure. So let's get rocking and rolling and strutting and strolling and styling and profiling here with tonight's mandatory metal segment, courtesy of the true folks at True Cavalt Coffee. And then what you're saying about about True Cavalt being legit. Too okay, legit to quit. We <laughs> we know they're legit. You know, we we know that they're they've they've all got it going on. That's why we're behind them with this. I mean, I listen to a lot of other podcasts, and they have a lot of stupid fucking reads that have nothing to do with the topic at hand. And you know, it's just because they're being paid to say it, and there's no passion behind it, and what and what they're trying to say. We show our passion every week with this show and it comes across and true cavalt coffee as well and the combination of both of those is the mandatory metal segment available now the latest record from death metalers suppression sorrow of soul through through flesh let's drop a track for that this is suppression with monochromatic chambers. Yeah. 
been very busy this week. Here's our metal fix. Hey, dude, I got a fresh Lemmy here in my Motorhead mug, so I want you to dazzle me. Okay, I need to look up my list and see what I wrote down, because I can't remember. Oh, <clears throat> so check this out. I was checking out new releases today, um, and I happened to come across a playlist for the Metal Blade Records 40th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And the playlist was um, Metal Blade's Records 40th anniversary 90s edition. And at the top of the hop was Guar with Slaughterama. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, uh-huh. yeah, Slaughterama. Uh, yes, yes. You know, like that, that's just a very, like, you want to talk about senseless violence in a Uh song, it doesn't get much worse than that. It's pretty good. (laughs) But, um, you know, if anyone's thinking like, oh, well, it can't get much worse, um, I will say to you, hold my beer, because that also, a couple of songs down the list was Cannibal Corpse, I Come Blood. (laughs) Right. So, yeah. So, don't worry. Just when you think it can't get worse, oh, oh it we can. can. Hold my beer. <laughs> but, um, really, nothing much is going on. But, um, former co-host of the show, Mr. Rock, um, he reached out to me. He's like, hey, man, I'm selling some DVDs. Are you interested in any of these? I'm like, well, let me see what you got. And I bought Henry Rollins 50. Okay. I bought the, which is... And I think this is like the first um, video that Henry did as a spoken word show. Um, And the show that, like the talking from the box CD, if you remember Uh, that one. They, I have the, 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 the album, they made a CD of that. Well, I had the cassette because that that way I could play in my car. But then I think I got the CD at some point. And then, um, I have so it's the DVD of that, and it's it's. I've only watched this one once, and I forgot that this is what was on it, and I may not have bought this one. And I remembered. Rock told me after it came, it's the one where he talks about um, him and Joe Cole getting mugged and uh. Joe Cole getting shot. <clears throat> I'm like, oh. Oh, yeah, right. It's brutal. And for anyone who has seen his current spoken word tour, um, you will know why I'm groaning because, you know, there's some pretty heavy topics in that one, too. Um, But, yeah, so really, that's my metal fix, those two. But also, and this is the one that I'm really, really excited about, because in the 80s, Right, concert DVD. Well, no, concert VHS was a big deal, right? <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Like when when the video stores first opened, you would go and rent things like the song remains the same. Right when when these local video stores became a thing, you know. Right. Oh yeah. Remember? You rent the song remains the same. You rent. Um, oh, what was the Black Sabbath? Was it Never Say Die? You know, what I'm talking about Black Sabbath one. Mm. Maybe not. <clears throat> not sure, but yeah. But you rent Woodstock, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the Woodstock video, all these things. And, you know, you hope that you can find something metal. Well, Iron Maiden's Live After Death was more than just a double live album. It was also a live VHS tape that you could get. Right. And Rock happened to have procur- procured, procured, procured that on DVD, and I am now the proud owner of it. Hmm. 
Excellent. And I am thrilled because as I've said many times on this show, um, that album was very, very impactful on me. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to have that live concert in my collection now. Right on, right on, right on. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean about... Um, okay, because like when, when video stores, you know, first, like, oh, when we... When we got our first um, VHS, like my mom and dad, they they went out and bought one, and they brought home a beta. <laughs> and our, <laughs> our 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 more experienced listeners are already groaning because by the time, like, we were the last people in the world, and you know, at least in you know in North America, to finally get a VCR, and of course they they bring home a beta. And it was it was a new toy, you know. Every day, mom and dad they brought home about four movies, and that's that's what we did. We every night for I don't know how long, we fell asleep watching movies. We didn't even watch them all every every night. It was just you know movies, 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 and all that. So yeah, I totally know what what you mean by the excitement of that. And when it comes to music. Okay, I don't know the widespread availability down in the U.S., but up here, the Ultimate Revenge VHS with Venom Slayer and Exodus. No, I never saw that. Okay, one. yeah, yeah, that 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 was the holy grail in terms of VHS for people in the underground because there just isn't a lot. There, yeah. there just there there just wasn't a lot being made at that time. So when there was something okay it was so it was something special and i could i could never find it and now uh, you just go on youtube da, 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 ultimate revenge oh look there there it is the magic though is now gone like if i would have found that on vhs you know in 1986 okay then that would have been oh <laughs> yeah because there just wasn't a lot of that stuff just in terms of, of the underground. Can you believe that in our lifetime, we've seen the rise and fall of video stores? Mm-hmm. And we have seen the home video format go from something that had to be rented or purchased to something that is not even physical at all and just comes to a box on your TV. Mm-hmm. And on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> like who, who the hell ever heard of watching anything on your phone? Yeah. No, I've often said that. Us as Generation X, we pretty much, like, I, we, you and I, like, we're old enough that we predate cable. Yeah. Microwaves. Computers, or at least home home computers. Well, you and home, I um, were born games. the same year as the microchip. Okay. So see? so we have but, literally grown up with computers. <laughs> but but when did you get your first computer? You know, your parents didn't have it in one in your house before you were born. Well, no. Um because, you know, that's when they were still whatever. But um in the late 70s when the home computer started happening with like the homebrew computer club blah blah blah. Keep in mind my father worked at Radio Shack. So we okay. had the TRS, um, the TRS eighty model one, 
And then we would have gotten the Model 2 and the Model 3, and I think we had the Model 4. Or did we start with the Model 2? But um, the TRS-80 and the TRS-DOS um, was actually more stable than Microsoft DOS, but Tandy wouldn't license it the way that Microsoft would. And so Microsoft took over. Ah. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Like when you think about like the whole well, like you brought up the the uh, the VHS and beta thing, you know. Like, you know, beta was the superior format, but VHS won out. Yeah, because um, they had they they had more selection for movies. Well, yeah, yeah. They they had better partnerships, better marketing, right? And mm-hmm. same thing with Tristos and, you know, um MS DOS. Like TRS DOS was the better of of the systems, but they um they they tried to hold on to it too tightly, you know. So yeah, it's it's interesting how all that works, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like to my original point, we yeah. we 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 saw the rise of that. Yeah. You know, we basically we we saw the uh, cassettes. Okay, when did you get your first cassette? Well, the cassettes are, are a messy history with me because I really wasn't allowed to buy music on cassettes. I had to buy blank cassettes. So we had blank cassettes all over the house to record our vinyl because right. my dad was right. an audiophile before I knew what that meant. <laughs> and, um, you know, you buy the album, you play it one time, and that is to record it to a cassette. So Uh, all of my music was on blank cassettes until finally, like once I got to the record store on my own, I started buying cassettes Mm -hmm. and I, you know, like I don't really have a cassette player now and I don't long for those cassettes. Like I do the album because the cassette was like even worse than a CD. It was so tiny. You couldn't see anything. The only thing that was cool at the time is it would go in your Walkman or your car. Right. but, But really, you know, it, it was a very disposable format. It definitely know? was. It definitely was. Yeah. When did when did you get your first Walkman? <sighs> see, see, we we probably should have saved this for a discussion period. I know. Like, like, like who, who knew we were going to go here tonight? Uh, um, man, it. I was a late bloomer with a Walkman. Okay. It was somewhere in the later eighties. And it wouldn't have been like a Walkman Walkman. It would have been a Radio Shack. Because, you know, like all my electronics came from Radio Shack. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. No, I remember my first Walkman. I guess it was like 1984 and it was a, uh, uh, maybe even 83. I, I hadn't gone metal full time. And my parents got me one for my birthday. And one of those KTEL compilations. Oh, yeah. And all that, and I just remember putting the batteries in, slapping the tape in, going for a long walk. Every time the side of the of the tape was done, I'd flip it over and play the other side, keep walking, and I just walked until the battery died. I just went for a long walk all day, just listening to music on this fancy new Walkman now, which is. You know, which was really cool back then, but now, like, young people, they kind of snicker at this stuff. Like, like that doesn't fit into your pocket. <laughs> yeah. Like, how, did, how, how did you carry that around? Well, and you know what's funny? is like, we did fit it in our pockets, but the pockets really weren't cut that big. 
But I don't think, like, I don't think I could fit my phone or some of the pockets today or probably even some of those things. I'm like, how did that work? How did I jam a Walkman in my, because you'd always stick it in the inside pocket in your jean jacket. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and then you'd make sure that your jean jacket was of a size that it would hang, but you could keep um, contraband in your jacket without people noticing. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? Man, how do people smuggle stuff today? I I don't know. I'm not a very good criminal. I've had people tell me that. Yeah, you really are. You know, know, suck you. You know, know, you'd suck at us as a criminal. And like, yeah, yeah, I probably would. I probably would. Even in the early '80s, I had one of those little transistor radios. Oh yeah, like that. They were about the size of your hand. (laughs) Oh, I've had several of those because again, Radio Shack. So like, we always had one of those going around. Um, my my dad was really big on the home audio or decent portable radio, and if he got me a decent portable radio, it always had to be able to record. Always. Uh-huh. I, and, and it's funny because like he did these sort of things before I even got into music. So it's like, did he know, or is this why yeah. I got into music? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, like there's so many people will complain about their parents, and I'm sure you know there were times I did when I was a kid, but. My parents really did know what was going on. Apparently, apparently, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like I said, your parents seemed very cool. They, you... they, they really, they were, and they are. You right know? on. Like, I, I, like for all the people that had like a horrible time in the eighties with their parents, it wasn't me. No, you know? no, I, I, I could kind of say the same thing. As well, um, you'll recall last episode we kind of did a deep dive into episodes one and two of that of that new no cover. YouTube oh yeah, yeah, program. yeah. Episode three is up. Did you get a chance to uh, kind of give it the once over? I started not? with the first band yesterday because I was sharing this show with a coworker so we could talk about the Native Howl. Right. Because I I told everybody I work with about the Native Howl this week, like uh-huh. everybody. No, nobody had a choice but to hear about the native howl this week. Um, and then that brought up the new cover. And then I forgot about my coworker, who's a big Alice Cooper and Hailstorm fan. I'm like, oh that my helps. goodness, you need to watch this show. You know. Uh huh. And so we started talking about that, and then oh, episode three's up, and I watched like part of the first band. But remember, I was telling you last week, it just felt bland. Like this first band, they weren't bad. But it's not the 90s anymore. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and that's as far, far as I've gotten for episode three. But I'm like, man, I hope it gets better. Uh, well, I don't know about that. Because I gave episode three the complete once over. And yeah, the first band you were talking about. And in case anyone's just kind of tuning in for the first time and haven't heard of this show. No, no, no cover is like... A bat or is like a battle of the bands or an American Idol, but with real artists doing their own material yeah, all, and all, truly all playing live to the point yes. where they like like you can hear feedback, you hear the mistakes. Like it's mm-hmm. it's not highly polished and produced like these other shows. Like you can really tell that wow, we're actually seeing something live, right. Right, right. And so that's what kind of got our attention. And the first band that you mentioned was called uh, Slay Squad. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were really, out of the four bands, they were really the only ones that kind of got 
any attention out of me or at least because some some of the other bands and i won't do a deep dive so that way you know so i won't spoil anything for you but for most of the other bands i just wrote yawn in my notes oh my gosh they just yeah none of these bands in this in the latest episode really did much for me yeah it was nice to see you know a, a metal a deathcore a metalcore band like slay squad on a tv show like this you know like kind of like mixing it in with the rap vocals and all that it did kind of lose me a little bit and all that it's basically well this is suicide silence with rap yeah that's a great way to way to put it i mean and again it wasn't bad but it was just like well i've heard this before yeah yeah and it's just it's just nothing caught my attention you know like the first episode did with with the native howl right you know right nothing's grabbed me like the native howl i'm like how how did i miss this band (laughs) right right like i've been texting people i haven't talked to in years i'm like go listen to the native howl i'm not even kidding about that Mm -hmm. i've i've just been telling everybody this past week to listen to the native howl it's fantastic you know, and more importantly, listen to them on no cover because their live performance is better than the vi- their the recorded video. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's where they're really going to excel. Oh my! I I told you, like they're coming with Guar. I have to go see this show. You have to. You have I, to. Be I there can't miss sure. this. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Alice Cooper, okay. Last night, as we speak, I was just kind of looking. For something to watch, and um, on the YouTube's, okay. Apparently, the last episode or the last last episode, the last date of um, was it last year, or the year before his 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 paranormal album, that 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 tour, the last date in Paris, France, was recorded for a paranormal evening at the Olympia in Paris, basically. A live Alice Cooper show on uh, on on YouTube. So I sat down. I gave this the once over. It's fantastic. Nita Strauss. Oh my God! You want to talk about people that have full control of the axe? Like she is the Lizzie Borden of the axe for sure, dude. Like absolutely oh, she's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you you already know this. It was really. Really, it was a real fantastic video. I had a great time, and it just I'm I'm kind of kicking myself now because Alice Cooper was just here. I don't know about two weeks ago, and this time I kind of opted out of it. You know, I was kind of look look I was kind of look looking at the bank account, and you know, this is a show Mrs. Snowy would want to go would want to go go to as well. So now tickets are twice as much, and. And I was like, well, you know what? I think I'm going to kind of sit this one out. And God, the next day I thought about it. It's like, man, you really should have went. You know, you thought you were kind of doing the right thing. You know, you don't have to go to every show and all that. But uh, uh, I'm kind of regretting it now, especially after watching that last night as well. Um, Speaking of concerts and tickets and all that the bay area strikes back tour has been announced and what that is is it's testament exodus and death angel 
are on are are going to be hitting the road, and they are coming here at the Burton Cummings Theater in October. I hate it. I hate it when like six months in in advance you have to buy tickets. You got to you know you got to run to Ticketmaster you know on the phone or now these these days over the interwebs and and all and all that and you got to be there and it's just like yeah i just i don't like the way buying tickets today for big league shows for corporate shows i i i hate it i hate dealing with ticketmaster it just it drives me nuts but when a show like this comes through town you definitely got to be there because it's testament it's exodus it's death angel you know um so i bit the bullet i did end up getting two really good price seats on the floor for mrs snowy and i so i was really surprised by that rock on yeah 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 and it was for the very first time i actually did i used the uh, the pre-sale Thing. I got a hold of a pre-sale wow. code. Yeah, I was always so against that. Like, you know, I always hated that. You know, because it just seemed like certain people had access to pre-sale codes and all that. But courtesy of uh, my good buddy, Mr. Matt Copper, over, you know, at, at the sister program, Wrestling Night in Canada, he set me up with this pre-sale code and got in right away, got some kick-ass seats. So... In honor of these new tickets and this awesome show, which, by the way, the original plan, okay, Ninja Cat was supposed to bring that tour to Winnipeg and have it at the Park Theater. Oh, that would be I, great. I, Yeah, I was actually going to be hopefully maybe working it because who, who knows with a tour like that, you know, they might. There's all sorts of logistics that I really shouldn't go into <laughs> on the air. It's just we had a shot at it. It looks like we were going to get it. Unfortunately, it just it just didn't happen. But in honor of this wicked tour, um, you know our our old buddy, Mr. Bob Nelbandian. Oh yeah, of course he was one. He was the first guest that we ever had on Radioactive Metal. And just over the years, old Bob has gone on and he has these series of inside metal documentaries. Yeah. Okay, well, um, I was on the 2B channel, which has nothing but awesome music and horror documentaries and concerts and films. And it's just, it's the best channel on going right now. On that, had they have a number of his inside metal documentaries. Rock on. So with all of this going on, I decided, you know what? This is a good chance to check out Bay Area Godfathers Part 1. Now, when we think the Bay Area, we think early Metallica. Right. Exodus. Okay. Exodus, Testament, Death yes. Angel, like Laz Rocket. It's just, it's just a ton of... Primus. awesome band. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pushing it, but, uh, okay. Listen, I'm Larry, nothing Larry, if I'm not a smartass. Larry, Larry Lalonde, at least, yes. Okay, for sure, for sure. So, but I never really gave the roots of, uh, 
of the whole Bay Area. Okay, something always something always draws influence from something. Like the Grateful Dead. Is this where we're going? Well, I never saw the Grateful Dead pop up, but um, it did have, like, the Bay Area did have strong rock and roll roots that would eventually influence what we knew as the uh as the bay area and into the 70s and then going on into the 80s once the new wave of british heavy metal hit you know and there was a combination of the 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 previous generation in the bay area mixed in with with the with with the new wave of heavy metal before you know it bang we got testament yeah i think what as i know as a as a music fan okay and as a metal fan okay i kind of take for granted okay and i got reintroduced to this last night watching this this documentary when they really showed just how important y and t were to the uh were to the bay area because they were one of the original bay area bands like in the late 70s and then going into the 80s and it's like oh holy geez that's right you know dave manichetti man like that guy that guy had it going on well and that's the thing and like dean del rey talks about this all the time on his show especially when he has on other bay area musicians but he talks about it all the time. He's like, the Bay Area has it all. And mm-hmm. they've had it all, you know, like more than other other scenes. You know, because he talks about just like the folk rock of the 60s mm-hmm. and all the stuff that was going on there. I mean, Hate Street, Berkeley, like this was just the heart of what ended up being Woodstock on the other end of the country. But I mean... That's where all this hippie stuff and the music and stuff was coming from. And um, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and, you know, all, all these, uh, Joni Mitchell, like, like all this music kind of started there. The Grateful Dead, those kind of guys. And then it comes into the 70s. And, you know, I'm not going to do, do any of that stuff any justice. But then you get to the 80s with the thrash metal. But I, then it just keeps going because the 90s, we've got Primus, you know, mm-hmm. like... <clears throat> The Bay Area mm-hmm. just never stops, and you can't pigeonhole them for a sound, you know? Because, like, there's always been an L.A. sound. There's always been a New York sound. The Bay Area's just got shit going on like crazy, mm-hmm. you know? That, that, that <laughs> Really, the Bay Area sound is drugs, because somebody is high <laughs> as shit and being like, dude, what if we do this, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. You, you got to remember as well, the Bay Area had a huge punk scene. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They, they, they gave us the Dead Kennedys. That's right. And and the Bay Area also gave us some 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 cool death metal band in in, in autopsy as well. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, sure. that's, yeah, that's the whole, the whole thing. It's just like the Bay Area really is an amazingly rich musical area. Definitely, definitely. And one of the things that I think this this documentary covered quite well was just the with the birth of the fanzine <laughs> okay with um bob nalbandian had his his headbanger zine rod ron quintana had his metal mania and there was the metal rendezvous 
zine and all that like these were yeah these were just home homemade diy zines but they were getting some national attention and sales all all throughout the country so that's something that's well yeah i'm sure the punk zines and all that probably you know precursed you know those bay area rags i think it was um it was the bay area that really got fanzines going in the metal scene as as well i think that that's an area that we just don't give a lot of attention to and a lot of credit for and just the laundry list of names on on this show just like there was leather leone and eric peterson from testament jeff thorpe from from vicious rumors two-time radioactive metal alum so cool to see him marty friedman a couple guys from exodus it's just ron Matichetti as well it's just so much great stuff dude i think you said you have Tubi. yeah Okay, well, you definitely have to um, start uh, focus, giving some more of this, some more of your attention, dude. Like this is, oh, it's 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 absolutely fantastic. If 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 I could, if I allowed myself, I would just get up one day, or like Friday after work, go on to Tubi, and then by the time I went to work Monday morning, I I would just watch just one one cool concert or documentary just one after another and i probably wouldn't run out a lot of really really cool stuff um unfortunately i didn't this was obviously something that we kind of should address on this this episode but i didn't quite know where exactly we would throw it out there. So I figured, you know what, just, 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 just so I could pay tribute to what was, what, what went on, give the artists, you know, that was affected by this kind of a helping hand. I figured, you know what, let's kind of put it in our metal fix and throw out a song from crawling through Tartarus. Okay. It's too bad. You know, when a band first comes into national attention or any sort of real attention through something very negative, like last la- last episode, you kind of patted me on the back saying, not too many bands, you know, get by you and thank you. I really appreciate that. Unfortunately, I had no idea who Crawling Through Tartarus is, which is that is a wicked name. <laughs> okay, and anyone that appreciates mythology and all that will definitely concur that with me. Well, apparently, recently in San Bernardino, California, at the Marquee Lounge, there was a, sh- a shooting, once again, okay, on April 23rd during this cro- this band- this show headlined by Crawling Through Tartarus. Apparently, um, four people were wounded and one was killed, which apparently was the shooter, which I'm not even going to give a name to it. Uh, Unfortunately, one one of the uh, peoples that were shot was the vocalist Mark Holzboog, who's um, apparently going to be making a recovery. And I'm not going into... um, 
any details and all that. This is not a clickbait show. I really don't want to get into all of that. This was just, we just wanted to bring it up just to let everyone know, okay, yeah, I sometimes see metal with rose-colored glasses, okay, and then every once in a while, something like this happens, and it's kind of a wake-up call, you know, like snowy, snowy, like even in metal, there are some people that, you know, are fucked up and are not afraid to hurt other people, not afraid, you know, to hurt your fellow metalheads, so... Yeah, that is definitely kind of a bummer, but I figured what we would do to show our support and throw it behind crawling through Tartarus. Okay, let me say it. We're going to drop a track for this awesome band and say, hey guys, heal, get better, and keep on rocking from their latest release EP, Libations. This is crawling through Tartarus with Medusa's gaze.
record going viral that was you fell in love with a dick now basically as you heard like modern terror like this is this is canada's answer to no fx <laughs> like, <laughs> like 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 definitely like you can just hear it and all that so when i when i first heard that it's like dude we have to play this this is great and i can't wait for modern terror to cross uh Cross Canada. I'd love to see them at Bulldogs. It would be an absolutely fantastic time. Well, I'm going to kind of turn the reins over to you for tonight's discussion because you're you're the gear guy in the show. Okay, like I can't even begin. Like this, this is what you're all about. This because you're 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 a musician. You you know your shit. You know your guitars. You know this. You you know that. All I can do is just ooh and ah and learn from you. And you wanted to discuss guitars, and you said, "Okay, yeah," because it's obviously like, what is metal? What is hardcore? Like without an electric guitar? Yeah. <laughs> like like it's that's that's. That that's the base of it all for for bad pun, there. Or, you know, <laughs> I see what you did there. That was yeah, nice. See, it's all what I did there. Yes. But yes. like, when you get into it, right? Like we, it was what two episodes ago we did the deep dive into um, Metal Lords. Uh huh. That's the show that got me thinking about it because they really nailed the visual end of. Well, like what I like to call the golden age of metal, which is the era that we grew up in through the 80s and 90s, because you had the guy with the extreme looking guitar and the extreme rig. It was a full stack. It was as many different buttons and knobs and, you know, rack mounted gear as you could possibly get. And that's all really changed now. 
And I find it funny because, you know, I back when in, you know, Metallica was coming up, that's all you had, right? If you wanted loud sounds, I mean, Black Flag talks about this too. Like, they had to take their own PA with them. They took all their own gear. You took a ton of gear with you so you could have all the, the volume that you needed. But today, we have all this modeling gear, and you just take it, boom. You know, it's like, oh, nothing breaks. You know, I always have my sound and blah, blah, blah. And this is becoming like the equivalent of my, you know, when I was your age, I had to walk to uh, school in the snow uphill both ways. Um <laughs> But there's still something to be said about that visual element. And and I want to talk about this with you because, again, like, you know, you you really get into the music, right? You are you are mm-hmm. absolutely the, the metal super fan here, right? I'm trying. But, and, you know, so, so I told you, like, I rattled off a handful of guitars for you. You're like, okay, um, I don't know if I can do that. I'm like, once you put those into Google, you're going to recognize all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I, I I knew you would because I know you're a super fan. I know you've seen all all these different guitars on one band or another. So, what guitar of the ones that we talked about? And I'm looking for my list here. So, I told Snowy, I said, brush up on the brands Dean, BC Rich, Ibanez, and Jackson. And Jackson, yeah. Um, specifically, look at things like the BC Rich Warlock and the Dean ML. Right, and then even like I also put in the um, the Ibanez Universe, right? Because I kind of wanted to talk about how how these things have, have kind of shaped metal here, or what I think is important to the guitar. But when you, when you started to like Google those brands and those guitars, what jumped out at you the most? Uh, oh, the most. I think I think just vis- visually, okay. And it's it's not just any one band or any one brand, uh, I should say. It's just the amount of different styles for the like, uh, you know. Okay, like the the Flying V has its own look. That's the word I'm I'm looking for. The Warlock has its own look. Right. Okay, and I saw a couple other things that looked like it had horns growing out of them and all yeah. that. I really, I don't really have them here. I gave them the once over. I made a couple notes, but yeah, you you were right when you said there are some like you'll recognize right away. And the BC Rich Warlock was <laughs> was definitely yeah. one, and of course the Flying V, you know, is is classic. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Because I mean, the Flying V, we can associate that from Scorpions through Metallica to blues guys, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's mm-hmm. so many people that play the flying V, right? But let's let's so let's talk about the Warlock for, for a moment. Like to me, the the Warlock, and for anyone who's like, what is the BC Rich Warlock? Like Google it, you've seen it. I promise mm-hmm. you've seen it. It's the original pointy guitar. You know? And not just like V points. It's not like you know, a lot of people think of the the first pointy guitar as like the Jackson, um, the Concord that they did for Randy Rhodes. You know, those kind um, of things. When I think Randy Rhodes, I think the polka dots. Yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah, like the, the Randy Rhodes V with the polka dots. Those are the Concords, right? Okay. So, um, people think about those things and. You know, like, oh, that's a pointy guitar. I'm like, no, not like the Warlock. Like, the, the BC Rich Warlock took, like, the double cutaway Strat 
kind of shape, but then cuts it into this demonic-looking beast creature. And it just screams metal. And it doesn't matter who holds that guitar. They look infinitely cooler. Mm -hmm. Right? Motley Crue used all warlocks on the Shout of the Devil tour. Right, like that—that okay. that was like like the guitar, like the, between "Shout the Devil" and then I think they they were using them again for "Theater of Pain," but then they painted them um, like brighter, more glam metal colors. Yeah, of course, they did. Right, I was, I was just waiting for you to say, "Yeah, they painted it pink." Or something. Well, yeah, they did, but but that's also what Poison did. Poison played <laughs> BC Rich, and they'd have the Warlock, and because oh god. One of my buddies had a snake skin. It was a pink snake skin warlock. Oh, wow. And it played amazing, but I'm like, it's atrocious. You know, he's like, come on, this is cool. And I, I never, like, I enjoyed brightly colored, but just like the whole pink snake skin, I'm like, oh, come on, man. Like, what are you doing yeah. here? But yeah, he, he loved that guitar. But I mean, like, even in pink snake skin, like... It just infinite cool, cooler, but like when you look at uh, Lita Ford or Molly Crew with their black warlocks, or think Carrie King with his warlocks, mm-hmm. like does anything look more menacing than those three people with those guitars? No, it, it epitomizes, and the name itself. Yeah. Like okay, did they have okay with warlock? Okay, did they name it that? knowing okay this 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 design is going to attract like the hev- the the heavier crowd so we got to give it a kick-ass name like no. warlock so here's the crazy no? thing about bc rich right because i started doing doing some research on them trying to trying to figure it out because you know when when i came to know them they had the nj series um and the the, the name kind of got drugged through the mud we'll say um, because you know it, it it came up and then as so many things in the 80s did they got handed over to make cheaper manufacturing and oh now we can do this so i mean there are some really terrible bc rich guitars out there that still look amazing um but so like i think it was like the late 60s early 70s is when bc rich guitars started coming up as handmade guitars like, like like high end luthier like if you're you know like a like like a really great rock and roll player like you're going to want to go get one of these these are like the best kind of guitars and so that's why uh Lita Ford originally went for one she went down to the shop i think she wanted to get a BC Rich bitch and um is it the bitch <laughs> okay it, oh okay. shit hang on let me i need to google BC Rich shapes here real quick hang on oh okay uh, is that what it is actually called the BC Rich Bitch? Yeah. Yeah, B I C H, the BC Rich Bitch, the bitch. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cuz I get I guess, you know, BC Rich, Rich, Rich Bitch, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I just wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like like oh yeah, dude, like they they really nailed the whole naming convention. Um but so these guys were hand making, here we go. So here's um, oh yeah, so the yeah the mockingbird, and the bitch. Where's the bitch? Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. that looks like the bitch. That's the mockingbird. So Joe Perry played a mockingbird, and they were pointier. Yeah, again, like, these guys really are the pointy guitars. But so 
Joe Perry played a mockingbird before, you know, anybody really knew about them. Um, and Kiss even kind of came on in the, towards the end of the 70s before they got became over-commercialized and had some great, you know, warlocks and other shapes and those sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um but like Lita Ford, you know, when she was com- coming up as their solo artist, she went to BC Rich and they're like, yeah, we want to do something for you. So they built her double necks. She had a bitch, but then the Warlock really became her signature, you know, the BC Rich Warlock. Mm-hmm. And they just had these amazing shapes, but like you said, the names. But so anyway, it was a company that started out, um, I believe they were Mexican immigrants. Okay. Right, they were guitar makers, and they started out making classical guitars, acoustic guitars, right? And somewhere they made the transition into making electric guitars. And the one thing that was really cool is so, like this guy, um, Bert, I think it's Bernard Rico. Guys, I am going from memory. I'm not googling any of this. This is from from memory. Don't give me too much shit. But so uh, it was like. Senior and junior, and I think senior was you know, both the guitars, he's a luthier, but junior wasn't the builder, he was more the business guy. And he realized he's like, Hey, we're gonna need to, you know, bring up more people that can really craft an instrument. Like, we, we need real world craftsmen. So they go down to central Mexico and they look for the best guitar luthiers that they can find, right? Because anyway. You know, in Mexico, you have, and I mean, like honestly, when you when you go to like, like like the big central parts of like a Mexico, a Europe, I honestly don't know about Canada, um, but like I'm talking I'm talking like old old world kind of countries, like old blood, like because like you know Canada and the U.S. were still fairly young countries, right? But we like, are, yeah. When you really think about it, yeah. But like when you talk like you know the old countries in Europe, the old countries in South America, like mm. you've got some seriously skilled artisans that have been passing this down for generations, mm-hmm. right? And so that's what they do. They go down to Mexico. They find these guys that are like killer builders. And they would bring them to the United States. They would help them to get their citizenship. They'd help them to get set up here. And they would, you know, help these people find a great life and really, you know, even build their skills and go on to do more great things here, you know. And the really fascinating thing to me, because, again, this is like the, the music nerd me, is that the BC Rich Shop, you know, because these guys were old world artisans where you would have had, especially in the, you know, in the 80s, in the late 70s, early 80s, when the hot rod guitars were coming up. So you had like the Jacksons, the Charvels, you know, these guys that were like learning how to use, really use the CNC machines and the machining and all these tools. Oh, we're going to get the most high tech tools. If the guys at BC Rich needed a tool, they built it. Hey, I need a new draw knife. Okay, let's build a draw knife. Who builds a draw knife except somebody who's been doing carpentry like for seventeen generations? Yeah, so you know that knows I mean? their shit. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so that's the thing is these guys were just amazing artisans making better instruments than anybody else. But then um, I think it was Junior that started like, hey, what if we do some crazier shapes? So they start talking to the artists, they get these shapes, they design these things like the Warlock and the Bitch, and they have these great names. And, you know, this becomes this this thing, you know. And 
they weren't taken seriously because they were all these crazy pointy guitars. But before they started going mass produced, like the eighties did with so many things, these were insanely high quality guitars. And that's kind of what I want to talk about, right? Because visually with metal, we associate, you know, typically you want the guitar to be black, right? Mm -hmm. Like, or it can have another color design, on it, right? yeah. but it's got to be black. Typically, that's the most metal guitar, black guitars. You know, I, I've made the joke for a year, the black guitars sound better. Um, <laughs> but but then the funny thing is, like, people who are, like, the generation below us will be like, no, I hate black guitars, any color but black, you know. And it's just, it's it's funny to kind of see that dynamic. But, um, you know, it, it has to have a look to it right like like there's there's something that's put together so either it's like black like um iron maiden dave murray's stratocaster right like mm -hmm. like you can tell that's not a stock strat it's been modded you know or it's black like the warlock and it just looks like evil death lurking on the strap you know but the flip side to this is these guitars were chosen because they were high performance machines right like you could get a car that looked cool but that didn't mean that it could handle and right. the bc rich was the coolest looking car but also the number one race car that could handle like no other car right like like that's that was bc rich at the time you know and that's that's also what jackson and charvel ended up being right they took what leo fender did with the stratocaster and they said, okay, how can we make some improvements? And they made these super strats, they called them, you know. Okay. But but that's why, so you had all these people that played these BC Rich guitars. Yeah, they looked cool, but they were also amazing playing guitars, right? Well, that would, yeah, I, you're right. Like, you, 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 you can gussy something up, but if you don't have the heart and soul in something, then it's just, it's who cares then. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. And I'm looking this up to make sure I get this right. So it was Bernard, Bernard Chavez Rico was oh, okay. the guy that started it. And, um, it was him and his son. Yeah. It was high end. Um, man, it was just great. You know, <laughs> you mentioned warlock and the bitch in the same, same sentence, and of course, yeah. you know, like my my head just went, "Oh, what a tour! Awesome! What an awesome tour that would have been!" Warlock and bitch, <laughs> Doro Pesh and Betsy bitch on yeah. the same bill. Exactly. Like, oh my right. god. <laughs> yeah. It just goes to show, like, how our terminologies and and all that can expand, and and pop up in other things. One of the things I noticed with BC Rich, yeah, and I was I was. Really surprised by this, but Eric Rutan has his own series. He has his own MK2 and Ironbird guitars. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know the Ironbirds. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. And Eric, I don't know if you know the name Eric Rutan, but you definitely. I don't. Okay. Eric Rutan, we've had him on the show before. Uh, former member of Morbid Angel. Um, we had him on when Hate Eternal was coming through town. Great, great guy. Yeah, yeah. He was a great guy to have a beer with and just shoot the shit. And, you know, he was a great, uh, he, he was a great interview. And apparently once this shit started happening in the Cannibal Corpse, 
camp, they tapped him now as, you know, as a replacement, I think, for O'Brien. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So basically, Eric Rutan has his own couple guitars here with um, with BC Rich, which I thought, okay, I understand, like, there's endorsements, and I want to get to that soon enough, okay? But I didn't know Rutan had that, because he's an amazing musician, obviously, and he's a producer, and, yeah. like, you name it, the guy can do it. I didn't know he, he had the name value to, you know, to... To be a, a sponsor, I guess. I don't know if I'm if, I, if I'm using the words well, word, word correctly. BC Rich has been sold a few times now. Okay. And the current owners, I believe, purchased the company in 2019. And since 2019, they discontinued a lot of the low-end stuff, decided to focus back on the high-end, and would want players, not necessarily to have the name, but have the skill to um okay. to, to use a high performance instrument. So uh-huh. that that really makes sense to me and especially somebody who's going to be in the metal genre because I mean let's face it they didn't start out as metal instruments but they kind of own the metal genre look wise, you know. Right. Definitely, definitely. And that's that's kind of another way that okay, like um Guitar World magazine. Yeah. knows the um the talent Dave Mustaine has. Oh yeah. They know the talent that the guys in like Trey Trey from Morbid Angel has and all that. Just 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 because it's thrash and it's heavy, they know everything that goes in on like what goes into making it. The guitars, the guitar companies know talent when they see it. Yeah. Okay, and they have the signature series and all that. But yet, Joe and Jane Average, they just hear that it's a heavy metal band, and it's like, yeah, they, they, they can't play. They have no yeah. talent. Yeah. yeah, okay, well, if these people have no talent, why are they getting the signature series on guitars? Why are they on the cover you know, of Guitar World magazine? I'm sorry, I like A Flock of Seagulls. Okay, that fucking band isn't doing this. <laughs> like it just oh, yeah. it it blows my mind. That's why I kind of have to. I'm gonna get off my soapbox, my normie soapbox here. Okay, well, right right away. Let, just, let's talk about wow. something that would have also upset the normies. We'll say, <clears throat> um, I think it was right around 1990, kind of when BC Rich. This is almost like the coffin nail. Because they're having all kinds of problems with, with the company. But um, they introduced a guitar known as the Virgin. Oh, okay. And the ad featured in Guitar for the Practicing Musician and other guitar magazines had a skeleton in bed next to a very scantily clad woman. Okay. Who is in a BC Rich T-shirt that is strategically <laughs> covering her, you know, bosom, uh-huh. all, um, and of course parts. you can see her panties, and they're of course because it's the eighties, they're uh, leopard or like tiger stripe, right? Mm-hmm. Tiger stripe, stripe underwear. You know, it has to be some sort of animal print. Yeah. Um, and 
in uh, you know so one hand's around the girl they obviously look like they're asleep because you know it's been um a wild night and in the other hand is the bc rich virgin and the caption says you haven't tried anything until you've plucked a virgin <laughs> holy shit okay you think that ad would fly today well, it didn't fly then. Um, in, in an issue or two, the ads were pulled. Because remember, in the 80s, things were done months in advance. So you mm -hmm. couldn't pull things as quickly as you can today. Right. Um, but in one of the um, magazines, like a couple months later, it came wrapped in plastic. And there was a letter enclosed apologizing for the ad. Oh, my God. Don't ever apologize. Yeah. For, for for something. Okay. That's that's the stuff that we get today. Yeah. Uh, okay. Someone says something dumb and all that, and it's the age of political correctness. And to, to a point, I understand it. I think there's a way that you can police yourself before it gets to the point where a social justice warrior is, you know, you know, trying to cancel you or whatever, whatever bull bullshit expression uh, okay so i just uh, yeah yeah that 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 wouldn't have flown today oh no not at all like you would you would have never gotten i mean hell half the names upset people today between mm -hmm, bitch mm -hmm. virgin you know <laughs> um let me tell you though like like towards the end of the 90s they're having um another rebirth and when i was working at the shop i was working at um, I was one of the first, you know, like first people to start kind of carrying them again, at least in our area. And um, we had in the BC Rich Beast, we had the new Widowmaker headstocks. And oh, man, like they the, some of those guitars coming out were just top notch. They're top notch. It was some really good stuff. But um, yeah, so so that's that's BC Rich, right? Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. the Dean ML Dimebag Daryl's guitar. Right. What 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 what'd you think of that one? Jeez, uh, I gotta I gotta pull pull it up myself again with with all of that. But yeah, like like I said, I went and gave all of this the once or oh no the dean i'm looking at bc rich here oh shit <laughs> this is great radio <laughs> it's fantastic radio so while snowy's pulling this back up i'll describe it for the listeners uh, okay actually here we go Electric you got it guitars. all right so can you tell what they tried to do with this one? Okay, I have... Okay, I'm looking at the ML. Right. Okay, and on the website, it's... Okay, I'm a little bit colorblind here. That's, it looks like a bluish... A wavy blue. Uh, well, yeah, because it's probably like a quilted maple finish. But uh, like, look at the shape of the guitar. Can you tell what's going on? It's It's actually basically combining two different gibson guitars okay now see that i could see your eye would see that mine just sees oh yeah that's the one that the dime that, 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 that dime play yeah well and that that's what it's famous for right and i mean even when 
um, Dean started making a comeback or other people found it. If you played that guitar, people would be like, oh yeah, it's Dime's guitar. Because he's the person that made it famous. ZZ Top was playing it before he was. Oh, wow. You know. Yeah. Dime, Dime would tell you, for the first thing he would say is how much of an influence ZZ Top were on him. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's, that's just it. Like, Dime was always cool. But so, this guitar, um, you know, when it was invented, um, Dean took... Um, and I can't remember. I think it's Matt Dean. I, it's I. I didn't really br- brush up my on um, the company history, um, but um, the idea was to combine a Gibson Explorer and a Gibson Flying V into the same body. Ah, okay, yeah. And okay, now, um, now that yeah. you hear that, you can't yeah, unsee it. I can see it now. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. It just it just goes it just goes to show like. I, I, I don't want to say they can pull one over on someone, but what, what I'm saying is they can take an idea, expand it, and make it totally your own, which is the sign of a good artist, which if you're going to come up with a new shape of a guitar, that that takes an artist as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, even though, you know, once you know, it's clearly like, oh, yeah, that is absolutely um, a, a Flying V and Explorer. Like, Gibson was probably trying to prove it because they saw it, but nobody else did. You know, Dean Zielinski, that's who it was. Uh, Dean Zielinski. 1976, he started in Chicago. Thus, Dean Guitars. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, yeah, but I mean, like, the, the ML is, like, one of the coolest-looking things. I mean, you know, Dimebag made it famous. Now, here's here's the thing that always bothers me is when the brands have their up-and-down days because, like, BC Rich got great, like, towards the end, end of the 90s. Like I said, I was carrying them. But then in the 2000s, they started tanking again and doing these horrible like super cheap guitars where you could buy a warlock at guitar center for like a hundred bucks sometimes 150 bucks depending um but it it was unplayable it was awful like this it 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 didn't have any of the performance standards that made it that made them great guitars right and that's also what happened with dean like so dean guitars I can't remember when they basically shut down and stopped making guitars, but uh, in the 90s, Dimebag talks to Washburn. Washburn licensed the the shape from Dean and starts producing Dime signature guitars. So it's basically a Dean ML built by Washburn to Dime specs. The guitar plays amazing. That's Of all the guitars that I bought and sold, that's the one I regret selling. Um, okay. Yeah, like that one just hurts horribly. But the um, when Dean took it back somewhere, you know, honestly, it was right around the same time that Dime got shot. Uh, the Dean um, brand was being resurrected, and Dime was partnering with him again, and you know, that's how why we had like the Razorback and that sort of stuff. But um, when they came out with the Dime signature models right after he passed away. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to play one of these. Like, I, I, I really wanted to get one. And I picked one up. And I'm like, oh, God, this is awful. And I knew what the what the Dean Washburn necks felt like. And I played older Dean MLs. I'm like, 
this is horrible. There's no way this is built to dime specs. Like somebody was trying to rush this out, make it look right, right? Like visually mm-hmm. make it metal, but it didn't have the high performance into it. And that's like that's my thing with metal guitar is it it can't have one or the other, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I guess it doesn't have to always look super metal because sometimes that's also super metal (laughs) you know (laughs) like if it looks like it's held together with duct tape and it's going to fall apart (laughs) at any moment that can also be metal as long as it still has the performance because i mean let's face it you know like the the music the the music that metal musicians are playing is I, i i will always equate this to like a classical musician where their instrument has to be in top condition to top specs and performance and maintenance because they're going to be doing some really difficult stuff. And same with a metal guy, you know, or girl, you know, it does, mm-hmm. you know, when I say guys, everyone like, I don't just mean just men like, right. but like, like, you know, I mean like, like let's, let's take Nita Strauss, you know, she, I believe she's an Ibanez player. I think, um, at least if she's not, she was, but, um, that's what the, the the reason I had you look at Ibanez because so Dean and BC Rush were really kind of the early metal guitars. And then Ibanez is kind of coming up, kind of coming up. They get Steve Vai and they come out with the gem, right? And the gem's one where they have like the grip built in the guitar, the monkey grip, you know, and it looks ridiculous. And, um, they keep making higher performance, higher performance, higher performance guitars. So a little background on Ibanez. Ibanez started off by just ripping off American guitars. Um, they made Gibson Les Pauls better than Gibson was back in the 70s. Hence what is known affectionately as the lawsuit Ibanez guitars. Oh, okay. You know, where you're looking at going, wait, is that a Gibson? No, why is this Gibson say Ibanez? But if you picked it up and played it with a Gibson of the same era, you'd be like, oh, well, this is the better guitar. And so there's people that like really covet and look for these lawsuit guitars because it's the better guitar. But so these were, you know, and I think we actually talked about this. Did you and I talk about it? We're talking about somebody else where when the Japanese get obsessed by something, um, their obsession knows no boundaries and they just take it to the next level. Um, that sounds like, okay, like, yeah, whenever a band, a metal band would go to Japan, no matter, no matter how big they are or how small they were, they always got the rock star treatment. Yeah. Because they were super obsessed. The Runaways. Oh, yeah. When when they, you know, in the late seventies, when they took their tour of Japan, which what put them on the map, it was like the Beatles. Yeah. (laughs) It was it's yeah. like the Beatles over there. and it's the same thing with with their professional wrestling in 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 Japan like they're even more than in North America because it's over a lot more in Japan than it is here now like their pro wrestlers are treated like gods there like yeah. it's it really is a very different culture yeah of- I, I really need to get over there I really just want to <laughs> kind of go experience it but Mm-hmm. Like to, to, to bring it back. So, you know, the Japanese will have this obsession with, you know, recreating things and making it the best it can possibly be like, okay, like here's, here's what it takes, but how do we make it the best? And so, 
Um, they kept copying guitars and making guitars, and they were kind of like low-budget guitars there for a while in the 80s. And then they started doing like the RG series and the Gem series. And these guitars became like the working man's hot rod. Like you could get an RG series guitar, like an RG 550, for probably like around 500 bucks. That's um, not bad. Well, yeah, it was pretty decent. And it was an amazing playing instrument. Like it would smoke a thousand dollar Fender or Gibson, you know, like absolutely just blow the doors off it. Like people are playing, like, like you can't get over how fast the neck is and how's this stuff go. So Ibanez approached Steve Vai and said, Hey, you don't want to do a partnership. And Steve's like, well, no, because nobody ever makes a guitar that I want to make. And, um, and, and I, I think I'm remembering the story right because I think it's Steve I and, and Ibanez. But I believe the story goes he gave him a bunch of specs that he thought they'd never be able to reproduce because he knew what he wanted and nobody could ever do it. He's like, well, they want to try it, sure. And he gets the guitar back and he's like, holy crap, this is amazing. And then he starts taking them very seriously. And then that's where the Ibanez gem comes up. And so through Steve Vai, who's an incredible musician, mm -hmm. you again get this insanely high performance machine that looks super cool because it's got it's it's pointy. It's not as pointy as a warlock, but it's still pointy. And this becomes the metal guitar through the 90s, you know, because the gem. Um, turns into the universe. The universe is the first seven-string guitar. Comes out like uh, in somewhere in the 1990s with White Snakes. <sighs> What's I can't remember what the album is called, but it's when Steve joined White Snake, and the song is called "Kittens Got Claws." I think is where it was used. Okay, I don't know that one. No. Well, but. You've seen the guitar I'm about to talk about because they have the seven-string universe. Nobody knew what to do with it. Nobody was buying them. Um, and they were in these insane colors like intergalactic puke. Okay. Where it was like a swirl of very bright colors. And, you know, or solid like, you know, neon yellow. Because that was the thing that Ibanez was doing. You know, the, those neon colors, right? Yeah, so, some of these here are like, whoa. Yeah. The, the A-Z-E-S, like what the hell? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like crazy stuff, right? <laughs> and and the Q here as well, like, whoa. So yeah. what happens then is, so do you remember, okay, well, let's let's rewind a little bit. So guitar, um, bands like Nirvana, Sonic Youth, were playing Fender guitars that are now very famous, like the Jaguar, um, the Jazz Master, the Mustang. But those were Fender guitars that nobody wanted, and they were available very cheaply in pawn shops. And right. that's what the, the the members of those bands will tell you. They're like, well, why do you play that guitar? Because well, I could get it cheap. Right. Right? Because nobody wanted those. And that's what happened to the Ibanez universe. Nobody knew what the hell to do with it. What do you do with the seven-string guitar? Like, the design-wise, Vi knew exactly what he was doing. He's like, wait a second. I mean, like, Steve Vi, when, when they came up with this, he was, like, literally going back to, like, early, like, 1600s luthiers and all that sort of crazy stuff they were doing, right? Mm -hmm. To come up with this. So, I mean, this was a well-thought-through plan. But still, people were like... It's the only seven string out there. What the hit? Where do you get strings? You know, like like this, it wasn't taking off. 
So it dies until one band happens to resurrect it. And do you recall which band that would have been? No, but I think once you say it, it'll... it'll uh, okay. Corn. Okay, no, I did Saturday all day. Corn pretty much single-handedly um, revived the seven string because they were playing used Steve Vai intergalactic puke guitars. And I remember seeing that being like, wow, why are they playing those? You know, because those are not metal looking at all. Like those, that is the, the pinnacle of 80s summer California hair metal kind of looking guitar. It doesn't mm-hmm. look metal, but here comes Corn playing these down-tuned seven strings. Now the the seven string, the low string is already a B. They tune it down a whole step to an A, so it's even lower, right? And and that's what Corn's thing was. And so now all of a sudden, people are like, "Whoa, that's what you do with the seven string." And Ibanez ran with that. All of a sudden, you have all these artists, and again, artists that are known if you're a guitar player that is known for being like a killer kick-ass guitar player like dino cazera is a fear factory like he had an ibanez you know mm-hmm. like ibanez all of a sudden has this stable of just the most amazing guitar players because they're making these high performance guitars you know and now not only do we have the seven string well now we have eight strings like tosin abasi that we talked about on the no cover show yeah he, yeah. Pl- he like plays that, an eight string really- you that, know? Those those really stand out. Like, like okay, I'm not a mu- I'm not a musician or or whatever. But when I see a seven string, like you might think, okay, well, thing strings are thin. Like you, <laughs> barely, you you could barely even notice them. You throw all, you throw an extra string. Yeah, it's it's noticeable for someone like I don't play, but for for someone that has seen enough guitarists yeah. live and all that. Just a little thing like that, an extra string, it stands out. Yes. Like, you know, I guess it's just the way the mind works. <laughs> well, it's also just because it's so much bigger and thicker. Because when you start getting that low, you start moving into bass guitar territory. So you've got to make the strings bigger and thicker so it can handle um, the sound and not just be floppy and have some sort of performance to it. Um Yes, you don't want floppy things with no performance. See, and there we go. <laughs> my, my. Uh, so Sue of um, uh, House of Gregory or Di Gregorio, she's she sends me this video the other night. It's of this person playing a fourteen string guitar, and what they're doing on it is absolutely amazing. But I reply back to her, I'm like, listen, I'm like. If you're playing a 14-string guitar, there comes a point when you have to admit that you might be a harpist. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. You know, like, like I, th- I think you're just kind of pushing it here, you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so so that that's kind of our journey through metal guitars. Um, All right. You know, right. and I mean, it, it's, I don't know, I, I get really excited because, like, the metal guitar players pushed also like the the pickups you know there's like the metal metal guitar players were kind of like the um the early hot rodders for cars in the 60s you know they, they took these guitars and then just started tweaking the hell out of them until you got these crazy high performance machines 
you know. For sure, for sure. I could see that. And I'm glad I'm glad you just because this is this is because I got a couple questions yeah. that I want to I want I want to ask here. OK, I'm glad you equated cars and guitars. OK, because I've seen people like gu- people that are like I, I know nothing about guitars, except I know what a really good one sounds like. OK, and I know nothing about cars. Okay, but I see people that do know something about cars just from a distance. They 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 can say, oh, yeah, that's a Pontiac, whatever. Yeah. And it's like, how, how do you know that? I see a blue car <laughs> or, 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 he'll, or he'll say that's a that's a Chevette, whatever. Oh, okay, well, it just looks like a car to me. Like, it's they're just cars. Okay, but now I know even to me it's not just a guitar it just it still kind of blows me away though when people can kind of apply that to guitars where they're like oh yeah that's an ibanez az or that's a bc rich yeah you know it's like how do you know this <laughs> like i'm always like is, is is that just something that guitarists pick up just well- it's Naturally. really the same thing with somebody who's into cars, right? Mm-hmm. Like you stare at the picture of it for so long because you love it so much that um, you you just start to notice every little detail about it. Like there's there's a guy who's a much better guitarist than me, and we we're talking the one day about his Strat, and I'm like, "Well, is it um, humbuckers or single coils?" He's like, "Well, I don't know." And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you're you're the guitar player. How do you not know? And he's a fantastic guitar player. And I said, well, um, is it two bars like this? And are they straight on? I said, or is it just a single bar? But in the bridge, it's tilted. And I drew it out. He was like, well, it's not two, but I know it's not tilted. I'm like, if it's only one, it's tilted. He's like, no, it's not. He goes home, comes back the next day. He's like, you were right. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like... Like, I knew I was right when I told you because, like, I study this stuff. Like, I I know every inch of it. I know every inch of my bass, you know. Like, I pour Mm -hmm. over these things. I've learned the numbering system of serial numbers. So I can, nine times out of ten, look at a headstock and get really close to what the actual year that guitar was made was. You know, for, for not for every brand, not for every brand, but the brands that I really love, like, like Fender especially, you know, and especially in the 90s when I was working in a guitar shop, I knew my guitars, you know. But at the same time, I was also the guy where somebody brought in like, like an early 50s Fender and was, you know, thinking we wanted to pay a lot of money for it. I'm looking at him like, because the vintage guitar market really hadn't quite happened yet. It was kind of getting there, but it, has, it was still coming about but i'm like mm-hmm. he's like well how much you give me first i'm like well maybe a, like a few hundred he's like what i'm like look how beat up this thing is do you know the amount of work i gotta put into this to make this look playable <laughs> you know and because that's what i was interested in i like i i am interested in a great playing instrument this you know this maybe got a story to it you know like we've talked about like the the strats with the history and the p bass with the history but like Fender somewhere in the late nineties, early two thousands started doing like their relic series where 
they were making the guitars look worn to the point where they were putting rust on the bridges and wearing off paint. And they're like, yeah, isn't this cool? I'm like, no. I'm like, do you see that bridge? That's disgusting. The first thing I would do is get steel wool and clean that bridge up. And the guy just looked at me. He's like, why? I'm like, because that's what you do. Like, like, and this comes mm-hmm. back to, have we talked about the fact that my mother had threatened my life if anything happened to my bass guitar? Uh, no, but I could see it. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah and I believe know, Because a, a lot goes into... Okay, because the old the old story of oh, mom, I really I really want this. Well, it it costs a lot. Let's let's see. Like, it's an old story. Yes. So you better take care of it. Yes. Right. So don't. No, yes. I to totally the point, get that. I was not allowed to make any modifications to this base, and okay. to this day, the only modification I have made to it was replacing the knobs because they came loose and fell off. Um. But other than that, everything on this base is 100% original. I wasn't allowed to put a hip shot on it like I wanted, all these sort of things. Um, And I have joked with my mother because I have sitting behind me the hip shot made for my base, right? And a hip shot for anyone who's like, what the hell is that? It is a special tuning key device that lets you drop um, a string to a preset pitch, most commonly, um, like a drop D for a bass player, you know. But so it's got a lever, and it's really clever. They use the actual thing. And she's like, well, over my dead body, you're making that modification. <laughs> and um, I've, I've told her, I'm like, it is sitting back here. I will be changing it on your coffin. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Some things, you're 50 years old, you know. <laughs> and there's just some things that mom's you will you'll always be her little boy always always yeah and i will call my buddy mark who has been there with me for every single conversation where mother has threatened my life over it (laughs) and he'll help me change it like the two of us will stand there (laughs) over the coffin i'm like well mom we waited you know I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nope. uh, There's still no money. Now, um, I bought an identical base uh, when I was, you know, in my band Darkwater um, because one night a fight broke out near my number one base. And I'm like, nope. Something happens to that base. I'm going to go to jail for killing somebody. So Mm -hmm. I need a base that's expendable. So um, I bought an identical one, and I modded the hell out of that. Every modification <laughs> I wasn't allowed to make to my original one, I made to that one. But I've since sold that one. You know, it's 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 making somebody else happy. But you know, that's I, how you were a rebel. You modified a replacement base. That, I'll show you, mom. Well, but that that's just it, though. Like 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 that's how well the threat works. Like I I have the part, and if not put it on the base, dude, at fifty. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so I'll get to it. Yeah. You know, I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm not, I, I can't do it. I cannot in good conscience do it. And I honestly don't know if I'm going to be able to do it once she passes. You know, I may have to buy another base to put it on. Oh, it's well, it's 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 an, it's it's like a it's a family joke now. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's it's just not one that you're ready to give up. I oh, I no, I totally yeah. get that. I totally get that. Um, what's the okay? Yeah. What's the point of the double neck on a guitar? <sighs> I blame what? um Jimmy Page for that one. 
Yeah, yeah. Rush had like five necks on some guitars. Well, that's because those guys are insane. But what's um, the point of that? Well, so the double neck was so you could have a twelve string guitar and a six string guitar on the same instrument, and that way you didn't have to switch guitars. But here's the deal. It's now two necks and two guitars hanging around your body at the same time. So it's also twice as heavy. Yeah. And like in terms of, of like you run the risk of breaking them more than a single. It looks cool. That's why people play it. But I mean, it's not comfortable. It's not easy because one guitar is going to be higher than you normally hold it. The other guitar is going to be lower than you normally hold it. (laughs) <laughs> like, like there, there's really no happy medium here. But, you know, anytime a guitar player wants to do something cool, if they have a song that needs a 12-string and a 6-string, they bring out the double neck, and the audience goes wild because they're like, whoa, it's the double neck. Oh, it's this beast of guitar. Because, again, it's got that visual look. The aesthetic to it. Yeah, yeah it's got the it's aesthetic. Really... And, I mean, like, like um, Steve Vai had, was it the heart guitar he had that had five necks on it? And and he even said, like, I think that guitar was the one he sent to Ibanez as a joke, thinking they'd never do it, and they sent it back to him, and it was actually playable. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, oh, joke's on me. Yeah. Oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, it worked. Yeah. But but that goes back to what we talked about with the Japanese, their obsession with engineering and quality, and, like, they... They, they put so much passion into really crafting something, right? Like, because, and think about what we talked about with like, you know, uh, BC Rich pulling the, the craftsman up from Mexico. We're talking Japan is like where swords were made. Like mm-hmm. amazing metallurgy swords back when you had to heat up a big stone furnace. Like, not like we can do today, right? So that you have this the just these eons of craftsmen in this culture and they apply that kind of knowledge and attention to detail to these modern things and just like wow they're like yeah we can figure out how to make five necks work like sure you can (laughs) dude go for it you know yeah i thought that was overkill like holy shit how many fucking necks do you need on this like wow no. Uh, another thing that I, yeah. I'm kind of curious about, and I, and I and I kind of get it, but okay, when I saw when I was what I was doing doing my homework here, and I was looking up the Jackson guitars, and they have sponsorships from Scott Ian, Chris Broderick, Jeff Loomis, Marty Friedman. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, how how does and I imagine how does that work? Like, okay, are they just do they? Like, uh, do they pay these artists to play their guitar and and push it? Or, like, how does that work? Do you know? Well, so I can can speak a little bit about um, the Jackson stuff because of Dave Mustaine. So, in the, the late 80s, you had Jackson and Charvel, which were a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> Jackson and Charvel, like, it, 
Grover Jacks was actually interviewed on the Dean Del Rey podcast, so I will tell everyone to go listen to the Dean Del Rey Let There Be Talk with Grover Jackson, because he tells the whole story of what happened with the brand, and basically he was kind of strong-armed into things, but so he lost control of the brand, the brand got sold, and Fender ended up buying the brand. Now, towards the end of the, the 80s, um... Jackson's and Charvel's were the high-performance rock guitar, right? So everybody in Def Leppard played Charvel's. Um, all the metal guys were playing Jackson's because they could take a Telecaster, which was an insanely not-metal guitar, and make it metal, right? Like, And you've seen it as one of uh, Scott Ian's uh, not-guitars, you know, okay. and the NYC and the, like, the New York hardcore logo he'd have on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they're making these great guitars. So <clears throat> Scott Ian's playing Jackson, Dave Messane's playing Jackson. And then the Jackson company finally is just like blows up essentially. Right. And it gets sold to Fender. So Fender um, has it. And Dave, Dave, uh, Dave Mustaine, I love the way he tells the story. I think he was getting like a couple guitars a year <clears throat> from Jackson at the time, and then he could buy them like at cost or something like that, right? Okay. And then um, when Jackson moved to Fender, they said, well, we'll give you the same deal we give Eric Clapton. And he's like, okay, you know, Eric Clapton, he's a pretty big deal. And then I can't remember what they wanted him to pay for the guitar, but he's like, I'm sorry, that's no. He's like, okay, nope, I'm, I'm out of here. And so that's when he went to Dean. Yeah, or did he go to BC Rich for a while? But um, he ended up at Dean. He was a Dean for a, for a, a good amount of time. Um, but yeah, he he just kept jumping around guitar companies, you know, basically looking for that deal, you know, <clears throat> and that that's why like ESP, ESP is another Japanese company, and they were they were really famous, you know, like I Ibanez, you know, had their lawsuit guitars. Um, and really kind of started going towards like the super strat thing. But then ESP went for how do we make a Gibson even better? And so ESP picked up Metallica somewhere in the late 80s, I think. Okay. You know? And um, they're one of the, those guitar companies that were just, uh, well, again, it's just like I'm in is. They're also obsessed with the quality and how can we make these these great guitars but their guitars were really high end, like you know, three, four thousand dollar guitars, and that's what George Lynch played. <clears throat> Metallica's playing those, and so you know, I know um, Metallica's an endorsement. Um, Holt, Gary Holt, is endorsed by ESP. I honestly don't know what they play. Like sometimes they can buy the instrument as it costs. Sometimes they do get a couple of free guitars. Um, there are some there are some players that don't want their gear for free um, because they want to make sure it's gear they want to pay for. Okay. You know, and so like if they do like an endorsement, they'll work out another type of deal where they still pay for their their gear. Um but, you know, like if if it's somebody like Metallica and ESP, you know, 
like they've had such a great long relationship with Metallica. Um, they've just been taking care of them for years. And honestly, I was shocked when Kirk Hammett moved over to Gibson as an endorsee. Like I, I really didn't think he was going to leave. You know, <laughs> you know, you're a gearhead, and you know you're a musician when that shocks you. Because even as a musical connoisseur, when you, I was just like, okay, he went from one to the other. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now Dave jumping ship doesn't surprise me because because Dave, Dave is. Dave would be the Gene Simmons of metal, we'll say. So you know how like Gene is like the shrewd businessman. Like for anyone who doesn't know, Gene doesn't buy, you know, extravagant cars. He's cheap as heck and he's going to play the guitar that somebody's going to give him to play. So and that's kind of Dave, right? Dave's that that same kind of shrewd frugal like, no, you want me to play your stuff? I'm not paying for it kind of thing, right? Uh, yeah, that actually stands to reason. It's the same thing with what I do. If I'm going to do an interview with a band at a venue, you're going to put me on the guest list. Yeah. Like, so I get that. I get that. Yeah. Right. So, so, so you've got that, that, that kind of thing going on, but then there's like, um, Kirk and ESP, right? Like they have done so many special guitars for him you know, and some of them were available for sale, like the Frankenstein guitars. But I mean, how many great horror movie guitars does Kirk have that ESP built for him that are just phenomenal? Again, high performance instruments that look amazing, you know? And then he moved to Gibson. Now, Dave plays Gibson now, and he's playing Gibson Flying V, but I hate the way Dave's Gibson Flying Vs look. look Because he, he put the, the Explorer hockey stick headstock on there instead of like the triangle headstock. Um, and I'm like, yeah, this looks dumb. I don't like it. Um, but Kirk, who's you know also a, a guitar collector, he's got some great vintage Les Pauls. And I mean... Let's face it, him and James both played Gibsons in the early days, you know. So it's not that big of a leap, but just the the relationship they have with ESP has been so strong that I was really shocked when Kirk jumped over to Gibson. You know. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> But again, big nerd here, right? <laughs> For sure. For sure. Good. You know what? I'm kind of glad that you once again, I I love how yeah, I don't know much about what you're talking about, but I feel that I'm learning, but I'm going to contribute this way to the dis- to the discussion. Okay. What what I want to do is I want to throw out a couple and I'm going to put you on the spot. I never went over this with you because yeah. I wanted I wanted the that spontaneous answer f- from you. I'm going to throw a couple fictional names out at you, okay? Okay. And I want you to tell me what type of, you know, metal guitar you think that character would use. Okay. Okay, I'm going to start off with Darth Vader. What would Darth Vader use for a guitar? He would play a jet black ESP that would be outfitted with um, 
red, glowing red fret markers that could be turned on and off with a red kill switch type button that looks like a um, like a lightsaber switch. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, that that's uh, that sounds pretty good. Fair enough. Fair enough. Superman. A blue Ibanez, probably a blue Ibanez RG five fifty. Okay, okay. The Lone Ranger. Oh, he would play a silver Stratocaster. Um, but it would be tricked out, right? So, it no, you know what? So it's it, that's a little more country. Okay, so he would have a silver Telecaster. Kind of like a Buck Owen style, so almost like a like, like a silver sparkle finish, maybe a red, white, and blue kind of theme going on there. But but silver be the primary color because you know high ho silver. Um, right. <laughs> and the there would have to be black on there too to kind of go for the mask. But his pickups, right? So he would he his his pickups would still look like the traditional single coil, but they would be tricked out. Um, like an, like, probably like a Seymour Duncan or a DiMarzio, where it's either like a, like a blade mini humbucker or it's like a stacked humbucker. So it doesn't look like it's going to have like a heavy metal kind of output, but it's going to, going to break up really nice and still have that same kind of, same kind of crunch you could get from like a humbucker guitar, like, a, you know, like an Ibanez. Okay. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. If Lemmy was a guitarist, what, what would he play? Oh, wow, that's a good one. I I honestly think that Lemmy would play an Explorer. Okay, what is it about Explorers that... Well, it, it, so it's it's the shape, right? Like, so ZZ Top played Explorers. Um, James was famous for the Explorer shape, James Hetfield. Right. And, you know, even when he played with the ESP, but just... Because Lemmy's not a little guy either, right? Like, he he was a big dude. He was, yeah. And that's why the Rickenbacker kind of fit him really well, that Rickenbacker bass that he's famous for, because that's not a little bass. And it looked good on his frame. And I just, when I think of Lemmy with just with the hair and the frame, like I, it, the Explorer makes sense. Now, you know, I would, would prefer to see him with a black Explorer, but knowing Lemmy, he, Lemmy would play a um, like like a '50s model Corina Explorer, so it's going to be like the lighter blonde wood. Um, and then eventually, they would have probably made one for him that's like you know custom tooled, like his Rickenbacker is. Right on, right. Fair enough, fair enough. And finally, just because she's a personal favorite of mine, but Wonder Woman. What would Wonder Woman play? Oh, okay. Let's think about this one here. Oh. Okay, Wonder Woman would play the acrylic um, BC Rich Warlock because it's a see-through guitar like her Invisible Jet. Ah, okay. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm just getting visions in my head right now of Nita Strauss and Wonder Woman going back and forth, soloing like 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 Tipton yeah. and um, and and Downing and. You know, the guys from Maiden and the guys from Merciful Fate going back and forth. So I'm getting visions in my head of Strauss and Wonder Woman doing that on stage right now. And it's like, wow. 
I am honestly surprised that Nita Strauss has not donned a Wonder Woman costume with her guitar. It, you know what? Let me make sure she is an Ibanez player because now you got me thinking about this. Oh. Right? Because I could see her playing the Ibanez. Oh, this is awful that I can't remember the series. It not quite the, no the the Ibanez S series right so Ibanez made okay. an even thinner series of guitars in the RGs like these crazy thin bodies again the 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 performance is just like just out out of this world dude um I'm looking for Nita looking for Nita looking for Nita looking for Nita where is she there she is. Yeah, she's an Ibanez player. So yeah, so I could see her playing like an S series or maybe even like the um, the Joe Satriani, um, the J- the JS body style a little bit. But but one of those probably probably for like the S series, the super thin, but also the clear, and to to do like the whole Wonder Woman like invisible jet theme. And I could see her like with the the Wonder Woman tiara, and wow, yeah. Yeah, that, man, that'd be like cool beyond cool to see her do that. That's very nerdy. Me too. Me yeah, too. Now, it's, now, it's super nerdy. But I'm now, like, I, now I have visions of Nita Strauss dressed up as Wonder Woman in my head. So we better go to a song here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like, like so, okay, I got to tell one last story uh, about this sort of stuff. But like, <laughs> like, I'm honestly more excited about seeing like Wonder Woman play guitar than thinking about Nita Strauss dresses Wonder Woman because I'm excited about the guitar and the guitar. I'm like, oh yeah, guitar like the Invisible Jet. So, um, <clears throat> we went to a Nam show, and uh, the one the one year, the Nam show was so so terrible. Like it was it was like like probably the height of the 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 booth babe. We're gonna say quote unquote. Okay. Where like the, the Dean booth would literally bring bring by Playboy Playmates, and they'd be in like a bikini holding their guitars. And, um, they, they, and of course they try to flirt with you cause their job is to get you to come to the booth and that's, it's working. It's just like a stripper. Well, yeah, it's working for a lot of people, but it doesn't work on me. Cause I'm like, yeah, no, like I, I, at the time, like I didn't want to see any of the Dean guitars. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm like, but don't you want to come over here? I'm like, no, I'm working like guitars, <laughs> you know? Mm. And, um, to the point where my boss, who is very religious, right? Her and I were um, at one of the booths for, you know, for, for the, that we do business with. And um, that our, our, our sales rep is like, well, hey, let me, let me get the picture of you two while you're here. Cause I, you know, this is, I still had like my Kodak 35 millimeter cause it was still that era, right? And I'm not sure. And we had been to that booth so many times, right? And never once did we see the picture that we had our picture taken in front of. It was a 12 foot um, strategically placed guitar over a naked woman's body. What? Okay. <laughs> and and because and because like I get the picture back and I hand it to her. I'm like, yeah. I said, isn't this a great picture? And she's looking at it, and then she starts laughing. I'm like, what? She's like. Look what's behind us, and you just see like my eyes just keep getting bigger and bigger because that's the first time I've seen that naked woman. <laughs> but that's just the thing is like I, 
like as much as I love women, you know, mm-hmm. and I mean like, you know, obviously I want to see my wife naked. Um, if there's guitar, it's going to be a struggle, you know, <laughs> like, I'm sorry. No, I get that. I get that. You know? Yeah. Like I, I know, but like, I just, I, I love guitars, man. And thus this conversation, which I'm glad we had, this was very enlightening. <laughs> and like, I, 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 I know like I'm a complete novice going into this and I feel like I've kind of stepped up a little bit in my axe game. Um, let's get to some tunes here. Let's drop something from Mr. Eric Rutan, former radioactive metal alum. Now, of course, yeah, Morbid Angel, Cannibal Corpse, Hate Eternal. He's got the pedigree. The band that put Mr. Rutan on the map was Ripping Corpse, particularly their debut record, Dreaming with the dead and of course like oh i oh i'm kicking myself now that i think about it it was years ago it was like seven years ago when when we had him on but now it hits me ah did ripping corpse get their name from the creator song ah obviously (laughs) Ah, okay okay well let's go with some ripping corpse from that aforementioned dreaming with the dead record this is a feeling a pleasure through pain
Legendary Sore Throat have a new record out. Starving Wolves Stand and Fight. Available very soon, very soon. But you know what? Just go on Bandcamp. Check it out from there. And when the record drops, be sure to grab it. That was Drop the Bomb. Of course, in only, in, in, in definitely that was, because they're Sore Throat, you know, were part of they were one of the godfathers you know of grind shall we say along with napalm death and the electro hippies and cryptic slaughter and repulsion way back in the mid 80s before grindcore was really a thing and it's so cool so cool to see sore throat back again doing it and before that as well deadhead there they dropped a new record slave driver that was acolyte and deadhead is one of those bands that um from you know the european you know the swedish death metal scene of the early 90s unfortunately 
deadheads not in the spoken in the same breath uh, at least i feel from what i've noticed as an entombed as a dismember etc etc but they're back and as you heard that killer song they are ready to give her once again um that's about it for us tonight dude uh once again thank you that was an absolutely fantastic conversation how can uh people get a hold of us well um they will find me perusing the bc rich website because now here i am staring at these guitars and we forgot to mention that chuck Schuldner death played a bc rich ah okay um, fair enough fair yeah, enough the, the guitar he played that kind of looks like an amoeba uh it's called the stealth and so okay. that was Chuck's guitar. But then, remember, you know, we were talking about, like, you couldn't do the Pluck the Virgin ad today. Um, mm-hmm. And you keep laughing every time I say the BC Rich bitch. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, now on the website, the bitch is just referred to as the B. Oh. Okay. I'm like, oh, come on, guys. Like, yeah. You spell it a B-I-C-H. Like, we we got yeah. it. Like, we, we get it. We'll, we'll live. Yeah. We're... We're big boys and girls now. We put on our big boy and girls pants a long time ago. Yeah, so it's it's kind of funny. I do appreciate that. But anyway, um, yeah, so people can find us, RadioactiveMetal.org. That's all the, uh, the episodes, past, present, and future. Check us out. Um, today, Snow and I both posted pics from Record Store Day, so that goes with mm-hmm. last week's episode. Um, you know, cause we're trying to post these pics when things drop, but that is at rad metal six, 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 right? So check us out there. Facebook.com slash rad metal. I have my Instagram set to post our, uh, Instagram pictures to Facebook as well. So I don't know if snowy does, but eh, we'll figure this out as we go. Um, so those are the social things. If you want to drop us a line, like, you know, write us a, like a letter, radmetal666 at gmail.com. And then um, anywhere you can find a podcast, you're going to find us. You can find mm-hmm. us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on the Google Play Store. And thanks to the fine folks at the Shining Wizards Network, shiningwizardsnetwork.com. You will also find us on Spotify. We are a part of that fine family of podcasts. They host us. They host our wrestling night in Canada. Mm -hmm. They host so many fine, fun wrestling podcasts. It's a great group of people. Go check them out um, and look for us all on Spotify because you can find us all on Spotify. And Mm -hmm. I think, I feel like I've hit it all today. I feel like that's it. Yep. Yep. That's it for sure. On our way out. Um, the tune we're going to go out on, speaking of the good, the fine folks at Wrestling Night in Canada, pat myself on the back here. If you haven't had enough of your cool Uncle Snowy with this show, you're going to want to go over there if you enjoy the, uh, the, the, the fine science that is the mat sport, shall we say. Last week, as soon as we were done recording last episode, I had to basically go from, you know, this snowy home studio here, rush over to Mr. Matt Copper's place to do Wrestling Night in Canada. When we were all done, we were just kind of hanging out, having a couple drinks and listening to some tunes. And our good buddy Ducky put on the latest Wraith record 
undo the chains and we were just like okay i heard the wraith record before this one because this one was the 2001 release haven't heard this one yet but this is really fucking good so let's go out on a track from that this is wraith with dominator in the meantime and in between time that's it this has been a Give em the Axe episode of Radioactive Metal. I'm Snowy White. And this is Aaron. Signing off.